Hey, I'm Harold McGee, the creative director here at Southern Illinois Worship Center, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and check out our website at siwcenter.org, where you can view all of our latest content and keep up with what's going on here at SIWC. I hope today's episode inspires you. Enjoy the message. We're going to cover today Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. That's why we didn't pray in the middle, because we're going to pray at the end. And I recognize that there are things in front of me. Those don't matter. You matter, because God wants to heal you. God wants to take care of you. God wants to do something amazing in every life that is represented in this house and online. So how many of you like to pray? I want to see your hands. We're, we're, we're a non-denominational church with a Pentecostal flair, which means we raise our hands and we say something. Awesome. All of you that raised your hands, there may be more people that need healing than we have prayer team members. You've just been nominated, elected, and appointed as prayer team members because the gift of healing can operate in every life and in every heart in this building and online, right? And God does not know any bounds. You may not even be in this building right now watching me wherever you are, and you think, oh, I needed to be there today. You are. You are here right now, and God can send a word from this place to your life and heal you instantaneously, and in a moment, God can heal you right where you are. God does not know any bounds. Walls don't stop God. Doctor's reports don't stop God. There is nothing. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago in the book of Isaiah. There is nothing that can reverse the plan of God for your life. There is nothing that can stop God in your life. All right, so today we're in our series, His Name Is... And I want to begin in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26. I'm going to take a little bit of time, just like I always do. I'm going to be a 747, and then I'm going to turn into a helicopter. All right? Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26. And, and he said, if you, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, this is the condition. This is what we have to do, right? We want God to do something. This is what we need to do. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I, this is not what God's going to do. He said, this is what you need to do. Now, this is what I'm going to do. This is God speaking now. I will put none of the diseases on you. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. Now, we could do a whole Bible study on all the diseases that were in the Egyptians, and we could focus just on the diseases of the mind, like indecisiveness. You can go, stay. You can go, stay. That's Pharaoh. He said, I will put on you any of the diseases which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord. This is what he said, for I am the Lord. So he's revealing something to them, and most we know this through this series, that we find something out about the character and the attributes of God in crisis. We begin to, and so they're in a crisis, right? They've been ripped out of Egypt, which sounds amazing until you get told to leave your home in the middle of the night. Grab all your possessions, anything you can carry, and you're going to go to a new place. Where am I going? I don't know. It's a promised land. Where am I going to live? I don't know. It's in a promised land. What are we going to eat? I don't know. Just trust God. He said, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm the Lord. 
who heals you. He's revealing something about himself. I am the Lord that heals you because in their minds, they've lived in bondage for 400 years and what they just witnessed God do was put plagues on the Egyptians. And so they're beginning to correspond because in every crisis that they are in, they are filtering their view of God through what they saw God do to the Egyptians. And so God has to reveal something to them saying, listen, I'm not going to do that to you. I did that to the Egyptians because I needed you to get out of there. And what often happens to many of us is we begin to filter our view of God through everybody else's experience. Or maybe it's a past experience you've had with God. And now you're bitter towards God because you filter your view of God through the time you thought God let you down. And now that experience that you've had with God, you filter the view of God through that. And you've been so bitter about it and posted so much about it on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter that everybody in your sphere of influence now filters God through your experience of bitterness. And God said, I need to reveal something to you. If you'll do what I tell you to do, if you heed my word diligently, if you give heed to what I'm speaking to you, I will not bring on you what I brought on them. You're different because you're obeying my voice. I am the Lord God who heals you. I am, this is what the Hebrew says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. Now, let's just clear up a few things that modern Christianity has taught us to believe. Now, Jesus said, Pastor Jason didn't say, it's five letters, but it's Jesus, not Jason. Jesus said to us that in this life, right, John 16, 33, in this life, we would have tribulation, or the word is trouble. We would have tribulation or trouble. Now, there isn't any of us in this room that can go through this life in a fallen world and not have some trouble. So let me just ask you, how many of y'all had some trouble this week? I had trouble getting out of my driveway. I had trouble with the mailman not giving me my mail. I had trouble with all the eyes. I, I had some trouble. We have trouble. Jesus said we would have trouble in this world. And no one can go through this life completely and avoid trouble. Look at our world right now. We look on the outside world, there's a lot of trouble. But what, you, what we do is we look at the news media, we look at all the things that are going on in the world, and we say, man, there's a lot of trouble there. But do you know that there's trouble right here? People's hearts are trouble. People's minds are trouble. People's lives are trouble. People's marriages are in trouble. People's finances are in trouble. There's a whole lot of trouble. And we'll pray over revival in Africa and miss the person in the pew next to us. Jesus said we're going to have trouble. And so we, we all can point to a time in our lives where we face some pain, some trouble, or a trial that happened in our life. And Jesus said, you'd have that. But he didn't stop there. He said, in this life, you would have trouble. But then he says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He also stated in the same verse that in him, we would have peace. So we can go through trouble and not lose our peace. I might need to tell some people, you cannot get your order right at McDonald's and not lose your mind. Okay, that's not really trouble. Okay, that's an inconvenience. Because the person ahead of you that you're ticked off at may be headed to the hospital for some trouble. He said, but when there's trouble, you will have 
peace. So even though there's trouble, there's pain, there's trial, in Jesus we have peace because he has already overcome what is trying to come over us. That's what he said. There's going to be something that's going to happen in every life, trouble, trial, tribulation, pain, sorrow, grief, discomfort that's trying to come over you. But be of good cheer. I have overcome what's trying to come over the top of you. Be of good cheer and have peace in your life. We learn more about God through our trial, through our pain, and through our trouble. And it is when we are in the test that God begins to reveal your testimony. So your test will give you a testimony. But your testimony is not about the test. Your testimony is about the goodness of God who brought you through the test. Right? We focus on the test and not the goodness of God in our lives. Right? How many of y'all remember testimony service back when you were a kid? And certain people would get up and you'd, oh, my goodness, here we go again. Has God done anything good for you? Because here's how they begin. The devils had me on the run all day. But they forgot the fact that God brought them through that day. So their focus is on the test instead of the goodness of God. Now, how many of y'all remember when you were in school? Some of you were like, it was uphill both ways. If you're in that crowd, you still remember going to school, okay? When we were in school, or you were in school, did the teacher ever test you on a subject that wasn't first taught? Anybody? There's a bunch of teachers in the room, you know, like... I mean, they say a pop quiz, right? But the pop quiz is over things that you had just learned. They had taught the subject matter prior to the pop quiz in your life. And so what a teacher does, they, te- they, they test you on a subject that they have taught. They've even given you homework assignments to reinforce what has been taught over and over again. And the reason why they give you a test is to see if you were paying attention to what was taught. Now, I don't know about you, but I daydreamed through school. I dreamed about being out of school. And I missed everything that was being taught. And so then they would say, we have a test on Friday. And I would break out into a sweat over a test. And then there were other kids that would come in for the test, and they were like, this is no big deal. Well, they were paying attention. They were catching They were mopping what the teacher was dropping, and I was dropping all everything. I mean, I was all over the place. I mean, if this classroom had a window in it, I was longing to be outside playing golf. And then the test came, and I didn't know what to do. And there wasn't anybody else there to help me. All right, I went to school before Google. Okay, Apple IIgs had just been released. Can you sign that one, Apple IIgs? All right, that's a test. And what, what do they do with a test? The test, after they've taught to see if you've been paying attention, the test is given in an environment where you can't receive any help. You're all by yourself, right? Now, I know some of you would lean over like that, but if you got caught, you failed the test. A teacher never tests a subject unless he has first taught the subject. And what would happen is only the individuals who had procrastinated, skipped, or didn't feel the information was important enough to remember. 
Those were the people who were scared of the test. They were sweating the test. The people who paid attention and knew the information, they weren't sweating. Instead, they walked through the same test that I was going through, but how we were going through the test was totally different. I was sweating and nervous and wanting to call a friend. And they were over there in five minutes getting it all done because they had paid attention to what the teacher had revealed to them. And what happens so much is we have a test. And we think we can look over at our parents' faith. And my mom's faith will get me through the test that I'm going through right now. And when a test comes, I see all kinds of Christians getting nervous and sweat because they procrastinated. They have skipped or didn't think what God was revealing to them was that important until the test came. Meanwhile, there's somebody else sitting there who's walking through it with confidence and greatness. And you go, why are you walking through that? Because God has revealed to me that he is the God who heals. And we may be going through the same test, but I'm walking through it with confidence. And you're scared and sweating because you have not realized that God is a healer. And now you can't live off my faith. You need to get your own faith. So that when you go through the test of life, you can walk through it confident as well. So God is like a teacher. God gave the Israelites a test. In the little text I read to you in Exodus chapter 15, actually the test began in, Genesis, or in Exodus chapter 14. And God gives them a test. And it wasn't a test of information that had not ever been taught. And so God begins to give them a test. Now, Christians live in this utopia. They're taught a utopia. And they don't think that God ever wants to see what we are made of. And so this Christian utopia, I listen to it a lot. People tell me a lot about this Christian utopia that is often declared and spoken. Let me, let me give you an idea of it. This is the Facebook version of it. The utopia is that when I decided to follow Jesus, everything was going to be wonderful and hunky-dory. Anybody ever heard this? It's going to be amazing. The lions will lay down with the lambs. Unicorns will skip over rainbows made of Skittles. And every rainbow will contain a pot of gold with my name on it. And if I just name it, I can claim it. And if I blab it, I can grab it. Everything is a pot of gold with my name on it at the end. And all of my family will love me and get along at every holiday. And we will all live happily ever after. Even in my marriage, I told her 65 years ago that I loved her. She should have remembered it. And everything's going to be wonderful. And I don't have to do anything. And God would just take care of me. Then life happens. And that theory has caused so many weak and anemic. Remember what Paul said? They have not considered the body, and that is why so many of them, they have not considered that other people are going through a test, and we might need to study because there's going to be a test coming our way. They've not considered the body. And so we have so many weak and anemic Christians because at the first sign of any pain or any sorrow or any trouble or the death of a loved one or anything that goes wrong in their life, they are gone faster than the midnight train to Georgia. 
right? Their theme song is gone. It isn't my sins are gone. It's I'm gone. I'm going to serve God as long as there's fresh manna, as long as there's quail, as long as there's ribeyes, as long as there's T-bones, as long as whatever I order is on the menu, and the minute God runs out of that or God doesn't give me what I want, gone. Look around you. Right? Pandemic comes. Well, why is God putting us through this? Why? Why? The church is closed. God ain't closed. Why is your theme song gone? It should be come. And the reason why, the reason why so many people are weak and anemic is they don't want to go through trouble. Can I tell you the reason why that Melissa and I have a strong marriage? Is because of the struggle. What brought us the joy of our babies, Morgan and Zoe, was the struggle. What brought Melissa and I through was the struggle. It was struggling with infertility. It was struggling with the death of my father. It was the struggle that made me stronger. And people want to avoid the struggle, and that's why they're weak. Let let me tell you a little story, just to reemphasize this. This little boy uh, found a cocoon. He's walking through the woods, and he found this cocoon. And he noticed that the butterfly was halfway out of the cocoon. And he thought, I want to see this butterfly fly, and I will speed up the process. And so he took out his little Swiss Army knife, and he took the knife, and he sliced down the cocoon, thinking he was helping the butterfly. The butterfly falls to the ground and never flies. It died right where it fell. Because the boy failed to realize that what gave the butterfly the strength to fly was the struggle of getting out of the cocoon. And what we have in life is we want people to come by with our own little Swiss army knife and whatever tool we've got and cut us out of our trouble and cut us out of our struggle. And what happens is is we fall to the ground and die right where we fell. Instead of realizing that the strength of our lives is just like that butterfly, it is the struggle that we go through that builds the strength of wings that allow us to fly. And there's a whole lot of Christians who are not strong enough to fly. What I mean by that is when the trumpet blasts, they will not fly to meet him in the air because they've been cut out of their struggle and they're not even serving God. I'm preaching better than y'all letting on. I I think maybe I stepped on a few toes there, but that's what God sent me to do. Why? Because we need to go through the struggle. And when we get through this struggle, then we can face the next struggle and the next test and the next test. This is why when a wife burns the food, the husband wants to file for divorce because they've never went through the struggle. Second Corinthians chapter one and verse eight. Let me give you some scripture to back this up. This is Paul writing to the church at Corinth and he said, we do not want you to be ignorant, which means I don't want you to be lacking information about this, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure. We were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even life. Now, that's a struggle, friend. That, he said we were burdened beyond measure. It, the, the struggle that we were in was above our own strength. It was so much so that we wanted to lay down and die. That's the Apostle Paul. And if the Apostle Paul went through a struggle, what makes you exempt from one? But the Christian utopia says, if you just live for God, if you just love Jesus, the minute you're a Christian, your life is going to be amazing. What I found out is the more that I get closer to God, the more the enemy fights for me. 
and tries to knock me off to see if I'm willing to struggle through or if I'm just willing to lay down and die. Paul was in a struggle. And when we find ourselves in a struggle, there is a temptation to scream at God, to decry the ways of God, to be upset with God. And what we need to realize is that struggle is what's going to give our faith the wings to fly. God allowed a test and a struggle to increase and strengthen your faith, not weaken it. And it's also to ensure that you paid attention to what you've been taught. I didn't say God brought it on you. I said God allowed it. God allowed it to ensure you paid attention to what you have been taught. Now, back to the book of Exodus. I got through the utopia. Everybody good? Nobody believes in that utopia or do I need to keep going? The lion will lay down with the lamb over there. So the first test that God gave the Israelites was the desert test. After God had brought the Israelites out of the place of their bondage, which is Egypt, they were on a journey to their promised land, just like us. When we got saved, God brought us out of bondage, our personal Egypt, and we're headed to a promised land. So we're in a test. And the first test you're going to come to is the desert test. And this test is brought to us, so just like it was brought to them. And they're on this journey, and the journey was not easy. The journey was a struggle. It was a struggle of faith. And so as they are headed forward, and they're coming out of Egypt, their enemy began to give chase behind them. Began to chase after them because the enemy realized that there was a prophet to keep in God's people in bondage. Can I tell you that nothing has changed? That when you get saved and you brought out of bondage, the enemy realizes that God just brought, brought you out and he realizes there's a prophet to keeping you in bondage. And so the enemy begins to give chase from behind to chase you down. This is why the psalmist said in Psalm 23, which we'll cover next week, goodness and mercy are following me. Why are they following me? They're the blockade between my enemy and me. Because the enemy is getting chased behind and God doesn't want you to turn around and see the enemy. He wants you to turn around and see his goodness and mercy, but he really doesn't want you to turn around at all. You need to keep your eyes to the hills where your help comes from. Because here's what happens. So the enemy is coming and in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10, the Bible says that the Israelites lifted up their eyes, which means they're walking towards their promised land and they hear the chariots coming and they turn around and they lifted up their eyes high enough to see their problems. They stopped at their problem instead of continuing to look on up. They lifted up their eyes. That's in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 10. And they saw the Egyptians were giving chase. And they began to whine. Not W-I-N-E, W-H-I-N-E. And, and you can imagine what the H will send you when you get to whining. When you start whining and complaining, God just brought you out of bondage. God just delivered you with a mighty hand. And you turn around. Now, you just had this miraculous thing happen on Sunday. And on Monday morning, something doesn't go your way. And we begin to whine and complain. So they saw the Egyptians. They're, they're complaining. And Moses goes to the Lord. And the Lord gives him a solution in Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still. Let me say this to some of you. God has got a four-letter word for you. Stay. 
Some of you see problems and you want to run. God said, stand still. You stay right there until God gives you the solution. I'm going to run out of my marriage. You stay right there until God heals your marriage. I'm going to run from this. No, you stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you see your problems, you shall see again no more forever. That's a promise, my friend. The problems you see today, you will not see them no more after today. That's what the Lord said to him. And here's what, I love that last line, forever. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now let me explain where God's people were. They were out of Egypt, and they were between a place by the name of Pihiroth and Migdal. This is where they were stuck. And Pihiroth literally means the mouth of gorges, and Migdal means a strong tower. So let's put that in modern terms. They had just left Egypt, and they are now stuck between a rock and a hard place. Anybody ever been stuck between a rock and a hard place? And here's what we do. We look at, at uh, what was going on. We have a hard place here, and we've got this rock over here. How in the world is God going to bring us out? We have a rock, and we've got a hard place, and I've got my problems right there. They had never considered that God wasn't going to use the rock or the hard place or the enemy to provide the way of escape because behind them was the Red Sea, and they never considered the Red Sea as an option and many of you are sitting here today between a rock and a hard place wondering how's the doctor going to cure me how's this going to happen and you have never considered that God is going to use something that you never considered to bring you out Right? Because you never consider that impossibility. You're trying to figure out how can I get over the rock? How can I make my way through the hard place? And how can I defeat my enemy? It just might be that God will make a way where there seems to be no way. Because when we get in our trouble, our focus is on the trouble and not on God. God didn't need that rock and God didn't need that hard place. All he needed was somebody to be obedient. And so through this little test, God was going to show them something. He was going to teach them something. He was going to reveal something to them. And they had better pay attention to what God was getting ready to say. And so God says to Moses, stretch forth your rod over the water. Actually, what he said to Moses is, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Hard place, rock, Egyptians, Red Sea. Go forward. In the words of Bill Cosby, right. Go forward. Are you kidding me? Go forward. And this is what we do to God. Really? Really? And he said, tell the people to go forward. But lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I will indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will get, uh, gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind 
behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. So God is blinding the enemy so he can't see the path that he's opening up right now. So that you have a way of escape. Remember what the Bible says, with every temptation he makes a way of escape. And so thus it was a cloud in darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other at all that night. Then Moses stretched his hand over the sea. The Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. And the waters were a wall to them on the right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. So God had to make it where the only direction that they could go was forward. Because even when God provides a way of escape, we have a tendency to want to veer to the right and to the left. So he makes two walls and an enemy behind them to push them to his victory. Life is so hard. I don't know what to do. Follow God. And then God starts bringing you out of it and you want to stop off at a pit stop just to enjoy your sin one more time. Keep moving. And so, verse 25, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back again upon the Egyptians and on their chariots and on their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the army of Pharaoh. And so then they get up in the morning, what they had walked over on, all they see is the remnants of their problem. They watched the Pharaoh's horsemen and his chariots and his soldiers and that army floating in the, in the sea and over on the other shore was what was left of their problem that they had witnessed. And so they are rejoicing. They're writing songs about God. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. My affection, my devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus. That's what they were doing. Let's call that Sunday morning. Woo, God's good, God's amazing, God just did a victory, my enemies are under. And then the Bible says, immediately, they were in the desert, right? That's what some of you go through between nine o'clock and you arguing with your spouse in the car about what restaurant you're gonna go to. Woo, my affection, my devotion, not for you. Immediately, they were in the desert. And in the desert, they're going to keep going to the promised land. They marched 40 miles, 40 miles, and found out after 40 miles of walking, now don't elbow your spouse if this has ever happened, but after 40 miles of travel, they wound up only 12 miles from their original spot. They realized that they were walking in circles. And what did they do? Now, just a few days before, They were singing, Jesus, we love you. All of our affection and all of our devotion poured out on your feet. And now it's, did you bring us out here because there were no graves in Egypt? 
Did you bring us out here to die out here? We, we told you when we were in Egypt. We told you on Saturday before you brought us out on Sunday that we should have stayed where we were at on Saturday night. I told you before you took me to the altar on Sunday morning that I was better off when I was in that bar on Saturday night. I told you that I was better off before I got Jesus because now two days into it and I'm a mess and my life is going crazy. I was better off when I was in bondage. I was better off. I was better off when I was doing witchy stuff and casting curses on people instead of blessings and now I'm back in curses. I was better off when I was worshiping the devil instead of worshiping Jesus. You don't think this is happening today? This is the test that we're going through in our lives right now. He brought you out of bondage. He brought you great victories in your life. And then the moment something happens, all you want to do is remember how good you had it when you were in sin. Can I tell you that the wages of sin is death? Time for us to not begin to bemoan and to cry God and just a little bit of a trouble hits our life. Pastor, I just don't think I can come back to church. Why, why can't you come back to church? Well, see, my mother sang up there on the stage and now that she has passed away, I just don't know if I could get back into the high God's house because God took my mom. So all it took for you to give up your relationship with God is for God to pull one family member out of your family or the devil to pull one family member out of your family and you walked away from everything you've ever believed. See, everybody thought, oh, he's going to preach about healing. I'm getting there. But one of the biggest things we need to heal in our hearts is bitterness towards God. The reason why you have that disease in your body, the reason why you have all that stress in your mind, the reason why those things are happening is you are not in perfect alignment with God. You're bitter against God, bitter at God, bitter at the church, bitter at the pastor, bitter at this guy, bitter at that person. They didn't pray the right prayer. They didn't do it the right way. Could it be that you are the one that needs to pass the test and not the person that's praying for you or not the guy that's preaching to you or not the guy that saved you? Where's your personal accountability? And so they move out of that desert place by means of water. And for time's sake, I'm going to skip over that page. Maybe Pastor Melissa, who talks faster than I can, can get through this. But after two days of being in the wilderness, the supply of water that they had was gone. Let me put it into our terms. On Sunday, they just had a water experience. They had collected enough supplies, but after two days, their water supply was gone, and they went to complaining and moaning. Could it be the reason why you have so many bad Tuesdays is you don't have any God Mondays? You think that what you get in this hour and 25 minutes on 9 o'clock Sunday is going to keep you from this Sunday to seven days later. They took water supplies, and by two days, they were already complaining and bitter against God after two days. That's why you need daily devotion with God so that you never run out of water. And water is a type of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the Holy Spirit operating in your life every single day or you're going to run out of supply and then you're going to be complaining against God because you've not been in the presence of God. Pastor, open up kids. Open this up. Open this up. Open this up. And the reason why we can't do that is because the church has run out of supply of having the spirit of serving. Feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm angry, I'm angry, I'm angry. And you need to get that heart healed so that you can begin to serve others. This is the desert test. 
We just went through a desert test. It was called 2020. How long can you serve God without getting in the building? How long can you serve God without an altar call? How long can you serve God without Pastor Evan leading you in worship? How, how can you worship on your own without Pastor? See, what you're doing is you're cheating on the test. You're looking over at Evan, hoping Evan will lead you into the presence of God because you can't get there yourself. You're hoping that I preach conviction into your life because you don't have any discipline in your life. You're cheating on the test and God put us through a test and allowed the test to come to see who was who, who is wheat and who is chafe. Oh, pastor, I thought this was a non-denominational church. It is, but it's a Bible-believing non-denominational church. Oh, pastor, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't come here for that. I wanted you to preach that. I'm going to get a Cadillac in my garage. I'm not telling you you won't have a Cadillac in your garage, but more importantly about what you park in your garage is where your soul winds up in eternity. Two days, they've gone from climactic praise to the depths of despair. And then... On the third day, they moved to another test, the water test. Now, just envision what happens after two and a half days of no water in a desert in the Middle East. And one old boy is out off to the side of the couple million people. He's off to the side. He's got his iPhone out. 4,000 years ago, he's got his iPhone out. And he's, he's scrolling through Facebook and and he sees all the church members. God's forgotten us. Moses is a terrible leader. Let us out here. He trips over a rock because he's paying attention to his phone. Trips over a rock and he looks up and he sees water. And he's on his phone right away. There's water to the left. And it goes out Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. I mean, it's on, all, was it Discord now? All, all, all these things. Everybody, water, there's water. And so here's what happens when there's water. People don't care about men, women, children, or the disabled. We're going to get to the water. So they're shoving people, the hustle and the bustle, because we haven't had anything to drink in two and a half days. Let me say what happens is when the church is thirsty, we don't care that the world is. So it's all about me, 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 even though we can bring supply to ourselves, but they don't even know where the water is. But we don't lead them to the water because we're thirsty. And so they're shoving people out of the way, kicking them out of the way, getting to the water, and they get up to the water, and it's at a place called Mara, and the first guy in, he grabs the water, and he's down there, and he's drinking the water, and And it's so bitter, he doesn't have time to warn other people about the bitterness. And so by the people, the stragglers and the trailers are coming, and everybody's passing the word, hey, the water's bitter, the water, you can't drink that water. That water's terrible. We, it was water, but it was bitter water. It was terrible water. And so the people who were trailing behind, they don't believe them. So they run up to the water because we're thirsty, and when we're thirsty, we don't care if it's bitter or not. We're going to drink the water, and then they drink the bitterness, and then they begin to decry against God too. And that's exactly what the church has been feeding the world is when we run out and we're bitter water and they taste and see they don't see that the Lord is good they see that the Lord is bitter y'all mopping what I'm dropping see the church needs a healing so we can heal the world bitter water so for two days they were running and shoving and putting people over and the water tasted almost like when the lake turns over here nasty and they came to water the bible says in exodus 15 23 when they came to mar they could not drink the waters of mar for they were bitter therefore the name of it was called mar they named the place bitter 
Uh, do you have a place in your life you've named bitter? I know my mom's here, but I told her last night, I said, I was scheduled to preach this seven months ago. I was going to preach it the week before you got here, and God saw to it that we had to cancel church last week, and I'm preaching it this week. So what I'm going to say, I would say whether my mother was here or not. But the opportunity for me to become bitter would have happened on March the 14th of 2018, right? Because when I was praying for my dad, and people were praying for my dad, that could have been my Mara in my life. That's the spot where I could have marked that life became very bitter, because why would God take my father? Why would God do that? And so that could be my Mara in my life and then every moment after that every person who come in contact with me who thought that they were going to get a drink from Jesus got a drink from Jason and Jesus is sweet but Jason was bitter do you have a Mara in your life a place where you feel like God let you down where you feel like God didn't do what you thought God should do do you have a Mara in your life is that why you're not winning souls is that why you're not serving because deep down in your heart when God begins to move you still have ought against God because you think that God somehow did not do what you thought God should do and God's wondering why you're not doing what you should be doing it was a test to see if they were paying attention Right? Earlier, three days earlier, they, these people who are drinking bitter water, three days earlier, had just been taught a lesson about water. They had just been taught three days earlier that God was more powerful than water. Right? And then a test comes. Bitter water. If God can part the Red Sea with wind, Right? If he can part water with wind, wouldn't it be suffice to say that God could deal with this water too? But they weren't paying attention. They missed the moment that they realized if he's God of that water, shouldn't he be God of this water? If God did this for me, then shouldn't God be able to do this for me? If God did that and that and that and that and that and that, then shouldn't God be able to do this? But we miss it. We miss it. God says, all right, I want to teach you another lesson. And Moses cries out to God. Let me just hurry for time's sake. Moses cries out to God and God says, hey, look, over there, there's a tree. Now, why didn't God just tell him to put the rod over the water again? Because had God told him to put the rod over the water, we would have created a whole methodology and we'd have the church of the rod. It's the rod that has power. No, my friend, it's God that has power. I'm not going to go up front unless Pastor Jason prays for me. Then I became your Savior, and I'm not your Savior, and I'm not your healer. He is. And you have, you, have, you have favor upon people. You have idolatry with people. And it's not the person who's laying hands on you. It's the person behind the person who's laying hands on you that has the power to heal you. There is a, any person in this room can lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover cover but the church has idolatry that if it ain't Benny Hinn if it ain't Kenneth Hagin if it ain't Billy Graham if it ain't T.D. Jakes if it ain't Stephen Furtick then it ain't for me but God has a word for you at the waters of your life that I am the God who heals I made a way for you where there seemed to be no way and now that you're in a place of bitterness I haven't changed I'm still the God who can do a miracle in your life and I am the God who heals you 
heals me of what? Of doubt, of fear, of whining, of complaining, of bitterness in my soul. He heals the inward parts. And when God heals the inward parts, it has outward manifestations. Pastor, I don't believe that Jesus healed the blind to die. Jesus healed this. Yeah, and one guy, he said, thy sins be forgiven you. Thy sins be forgiven you. Now take up your bed and walk. Wouldn't it be a shame to be able to walk, be walking but not forgiven? And that's what many people want. We want the ramifications of God's word. We just don't want to live God's word. I want to be healed, but I don't want to live for God. I want to be blessed, but I don't want to tithe. I want a good marriage, but I won't be faithful. I don't know why my wife doesn't trust me. Then stop giving her reasons to distrust you. It goes back to there was a test. And many people feel the test was unfair. That test was unfair, God. When I was in the hospital room with my father, I could have said, this test is unfair. This test is unfair, God. My father's a preacher. My God's this and my dad's this and my dad's that. And I'm standing thinking about all the funerals that I've preached. I tried to do the calculations of them before I preached this sermon. I've done over 200 funerals. And it just so happens today I'm going to do a funeral. And you know what I'm going to tell them? There's going to be a day where we're going to say, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? And then it goes on to say what the sting of death is. But let me tell you, the sting of death in many of us is the implantation of bitterness towards God. God wants to heal you. I am the God who heals you. So he takes a tree and he throws the tree into the water. He didn't use a rod. He took a tree. And he threw a tree into the water. I love this. The Old Testament is a pathway leading us to Christ. When we come to bitterness, what we need thrown in our lives is not more doctrine or theology. What we need thrown in our lives is the cross. Right? Because it was at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. And the burdens, let me use a different word, and the bitterness of my heart rolled away. And it was there by faith. Remember? It was there by faith. I mean, you, you saw what the test was, right? Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth as the only begotten child of the living God, lived a sinless life, went to the cross of Calvary, died in our place, and three days later rose again? That's the test. He's been revealing it, that test. And we say, yes, I believe that. I received that into my life. I received that. I, I know it. I'm going to pass that test. And then... It was there by faith I received. And we walk out of by faith and live in doubt and despair over the morrows of our life. God wants to heal you. God wants to heal you. When God heals, God does it in four ways. God heals physically. God heals emotionally. God heals mentally, and God heals spiritually. I asked this question to some of the staff members after devotion the other day. I said, 
Go through the healings in the Bible that Jesus performed and see if you can take out one of those four characteristics in any of the stories of Jesus' healing. The woman with the issue of blood suffered for it for years, had emotional trauma, had spiritual trauma because she was not allowed to enter in, had physical trauma in her life. She has all of these traumas mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And one moment of touching the hem of his garment, the physical healing was a spiritual healing, an emotional healing, and a mental healing in her life. Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. A physical ailment, but had been mocked and ridiculed all of his life and wore a coat that identified him as being blind. And when he got to Jesus, he took off the coat that identified him by his physical ailment and the coat that people mocked and made fun of because he was blind Bartimaeus. And when Jesus restored his sight, he was healed physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. And some people said, Pastor, I'm not physically sick. But your emotions are all over the place. Pastor, 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 I'm not, I'm not emotionally sick. You're spiritually sick. How long has it been since you were baptized afresh in his water? How long have you been running with your tank on empty? I think a lot of Christians, we, we drive our spiritual lives like we drive our cars. We're looking at the miles to empty. And I won't go to the fuel station until the red light comes on. But what will you do? This just happened to us the other day. Had a quarter tank of gas, no big deal. Instead of taking the long way home, I took the shortcut. Got stuck in that wreck out here on Interstate 57. What will you do when you don't have enough supply to get through the unexpected in your life? And in this service specifically, let me just speak to the nine o'clock, not necessarily to you online, but let me speak to the nine o'clock. See, as pastor says, you're dismissed. You go that way as quickly as you can. And your life is all together according to you. I don't want to go forward. I don't want anybody to pray for me. Uh, it's COVID. I don't want anybody to lay hands on me. The Bible says that you are to call upon the elders. You are to call upon the elders. Instead, you want Pastor Jason to operate in the gifts of the Spirit to know that in apartment B in Johnson City, the third door down, which is green, and on a green couch, you lie there. When you're in this room and God is speaking to you, saying it's time for you to get healed, I am the Lord who heals. I am Jehovah Rapha. You remember what Jesus said the anointing was on his life? To heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, and to bind up the brokenhearted. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual was the anointing that was on his life. To heal in every area that could be broken in our lives. Pastor, I'm not broken. Then if you aren't broken, then Jesus came in vain. Because he said, I did not come for those who are in no need of a physician. But I came for those who need 
a healing in their life. And God revealed again, I am the God who heals. Because they would write of Jesus, by his stripes, we are healed. The psalmist would write like this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Psalms 103, verses 11 through 12, to the God who heals all thine iniquities. Iniquities, the inward sins of our life, to the God who heals all of our iniquities. We say, Pastor, I don't need a healing. I don't have cancer. I don't have sugar diabetes. You know what the difference is between them who have those things and you? Is somebody has diagnosed them as being sick but the devil has deceived you into believing that you are well so with every head bowed and with every eye closed and my prayer teams would begin to assemble I know what time it is but we need to break the chain of time off of our lives and be healed he is the God who heals He is the God who heals us. He is the God who takes care of us. Psalm 103 said, He forgives all of our iniquities and He heals all of your diseases. Every disease that you have that has not been brought to you by God, He's here to heal them. Because God didn't bring them on you. He said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, I will not bring these on you. So this is what I want to do. I could begin to list out very specific things and people wouldn't come. But if you need a healing, whether that be physically, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally, I want you to stand from where you are and I want you to come to one of our prayer team members. What you're doing in that moment is an act of faith. You're fulfilling James chapter 5 and verse 14, which says, is there any sick among you? Let him call upon the elders. And these are the elders of our church. For those of you that are joining online right now, our prayer teams are waiting. All you need to do, you can either type and say, I just need prayer, or you can email it in confidentially at prayer at siwcenter.org or info at siwcenter.org. But he is the God who heals you spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally right now. And so if you need a healing, I would not wait. I would not hesitate. I would come. Maybe you're reflecting right now on your Mara moment, that place of bitterness in your life. God wants to heal you of bitterness. God wants to heal you right now. I see young people coming who have had their families broken apart that could be their moral moment where their parents may have split up or things have happened in their lives and it created a, a fracture in their lives he is the God who heals he is the God who heals he is the God who forgives all of your iniquities and heals all of your diseases thank you for joining us through our podcast today God is continuing to do amazing things here at SIWC and throughout our region thanks to the generosity of all of you. So thank you for being a generous people and partnering with us as we transform lives throughout our region and around the world. 
If you would like to give to our ministry, you can do so at SIWcenter.org. And don't forget, if you enjoy our podcast, be sure to subscribe, share about it on social media, and give us that five-star rating. God bless.